Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. We've got a busy podcast coming up. We're going to take a special look at the New York Giants, what's been going on in training camp for them over the first couple of weeks. And we're going to talk to Zach Rosenblatt, who is a Giants beat reporter for NJ Advanced Media. We're going to talk to him about a whole range of issues going on with our buddies from up north. Plus, we'll get into some news from around the NFL, a quarterback signs a huge contract extension over in the AFC and um, the Washington football team dealing with some pretty serious COVID issues. But we're going to start off the podcast talking about stuff going on in Eagles camp right now. And of course, most of what Eagles fans are talking about doesn't really have anything to do with with what's going on in training camp. It has it has to do with the future of the quarterback situation and Deshaun Watson. What is going on with the Houston Texans starting quarterback, at least for now? Deshaun Watson on Friday was not at practice for the fourth day in a row, and the Texans clearly just they don't know what to, they don't know what to do with him right now because the the league hasn't suspended him. They can't really do anything, but they don't want to put him out on the field because they are fielding trade they are fielding trade uh, uh, pitches from from other teams. So. You know, there's obviously something going on here. He's obviously being shopped around, and there's all kinds of smoke around the Eagles, as you've, you've of course, heard by now. You And you've heard it refuted, too, uh, by, by other sources. But, you know, I, I still think that because there's been a reluctance to name Jalen Hurts as the starting quarterback for this team, because we know it's not going to be Joe Flacco, that it feels like there is, it, there is a real chance that Deshaun Watson could come to the Philadelphia Eagles at some point in the next couple of weeks. Now, per Mike Florio... The Texans have made it known uh, that um, that they're willing to trade Deshaun Watson, but the problem is that they still too, want too much for him, according to Florio. Per a league source, the Texans still have not softened their trade expectation expectations for Watson, despite the lingering uncertainty regarding his career. That Those are Florio's words there. Um, and then Jay Glazer of Fox Sports during the Hall of Fame game went on TV and basically said that the Texans have stopped returning phone calls from teams who are interested in Watson. You wonder why that could be. I think Glazer speculated that it's because the Texans are getting lowballed for Watson, whatever that might be. We've heard um, from some folks, I think uh, NFL Network's Tom Pelissero uh, and Ian Rappaport said that the asking price for Watson is at least three first-round draft picks. Um, ESPN later confirmed that report and added that Houston is looking for a combination of five high draft picks and starting caliber players. Um ESPN Sarah Bishop says that the Texans don't feel like they've received a serious offer. Well, that's, you know, for a guy who might miss half a season because of all the sexual assault, sexual molestation allegations that are against him, and uh, the fact that the Texans really don't have any leverage, you can see why he is still in Houston. And so the Texans have a quarterback that they really can't play. He wants to leave. He does not want to be in Houston. Uh, the Texans want to get rid of him. They owe him $10 million this year, but then $35 million in 2022. Uh, if he is indicted, he will likely land on paid leave, according to uh, Mike Florio. So there's all kinds of on-field and off-field stuff. And I think most Eagles fans generally just don't want this guy on the team for, for all the off-the-field reasons. There there are on-field reasons not, not to get him, but specifically the asking price and, and the money you'd have to pay him. But, 
really nobody just wants the headache and this it would be a huge headache it would be it would be something that would just dominate the headlines and you just don't want a guy like that on your team sometimes you just don't want to root for a guy like that especially as your franchise quarterback but uh, i still i still don't think it's going to happen i do not think the eagles are going to trade for deshaun watson and i would rather hold on to those draft picks and get a guy without so much baggage Go after Aaron Rodgers next year. Go after Russell Wilson next year. If you want a veteran quarterback and you think you're relatively close to the Super Bowl, but again, I don't think the Eagles' contention for being a Super Bowl contender is going to be next year. I don't think twenty. I don't think twenty twenty two. The Eagles are thinking Super Bowl, which makes a trade for Aaron Rodgers and or Russell Wilson. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I, I really feel like this is an opportunity for the Eagles to just go on, even with a, even if two if it's two first rounders and a what could be a high second round pick, depending on how the Colts do without Carson Wentz for for much of the season, if that's what it ends up being. A second rounder and two firsts should still be able to get you to move up to almost wherever you want to go in the draft next year and and get whatever quarterback you want if you decide you don't want to move forward with with Jalen Hurts. So I I wouldn't pull the trigger right now. I I don't see the urgency. I just don't sense the urgency. If there, if there was nothing around Deshaun Watson off the field, I would say yes, go and trade for him. Give up three firsts, give up the two you have next year and maybe give up the one the year after that uh and 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 you know, give up uh you know, you want to throw, you know, a player in there. I don't know who it would be. Maybe you throw Andre Dillard in there. I don't know how much trade value he has. Probably not a whole lot. So maybe that's just a, a non-starter at that point. But you, you get my point. You know, maybe maybe you you do that for a young franchise quarterback that doesn't have all the off the field baggage and just would be a distraction and a black mark on your franchise. So, uh, but the fact that he has all that surrounding himself and the fact that you're not ready to contend right now. I just, I don't see the urgency. I give Jalen Hurts the season, let him play, let him see see what he looks like. Again, I think it's unfortunate Hurts is going to have one season to do this, but um, I'd rather go that route than, than go out and get Deshaun Watson right now for a King's ransom. And it sounds like Houston's asking price will have to come down at some point in the next week or two if they do want to move him. Now, another player that has suddenly hit the uh, is requesting a trade from his team is uh, Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver James Washington. He's a fourth-year player. Uh, he's expected to be in the mix um, as uh, one of the Steelers' outside receivers, but right now he seems to be kind of on the outside looking in. Chase Claypool, who burst onto the scene as a rookie last year, uh, seems to have one of those spots pretty much locked down, and uh, Deontay Johnson is probably ahead of him uh, in the pecking order as well. And so the former second-round pick is looking to get out of Pittsburgh. He, he played in the Hall of Fame game the other night, had two targets, did not did not make a catch. Um, you know, I, Ben Roethlisberger and, and he have not really been able to get on the same page over the years. Uh, last season, he only had 30 catches for 392 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, but in 2019, he started 10 games, played in 15, and caught 44 of 80 targets for 735 yards and three touchdowns. So I had one Pittsburgh Steeler fan describe him as aggressively average to me. Uh, and I, I watched highlights, and anytime you're watching highlights of the kid, and I've seen him play a couple of games, and he, does, he again, he's one of those players, he, he hasn't really had a breakout game, so he's kind of flown under the radar. But... Um, He's a guy who has some size. He he can he's a field stretcher. He but he can catch the ball over the middle. I, I like how he's able to break some tackles. I think he would be a welcome addition to a wide receiver unit that desperately needs some kind of veteran in the locker room. I mean, even if it's a guy who hasn't played a ton, he he you've at least got a fourth year guy who 
has some experience playing in the NFL. You look at Jalen Rager and Devontae Smith and, you know, Travis Fulgham and you know, Greg Ward is really the, the veteran of the group here, but you're not counting on Greg Ward to be anything more than a number four. I think James Washington would probably slide into this team as it's uh, as, as the other outside receiver. And you put Jalen Rager in the slot. I, I think you could have something there. You probably don't have to give up much to get him. Maybe you give up a fifth round pick, you know, could you get him for a sixth rounder? Probably not. I would give up a fifth rounder for this kid to see what he can do, because I think this team, especially with the injury bug that's hit the wide receiver room, bring him in, see what he can do. See if he's got a connection with Jalen Hurts. It's clearly not working in Pittsburgh with Ben Roethlisberger, and he's got the size and he's got the talent. Des Bryant went on TV this week and said, anybody that trades for this guy is going to get a franchise wide receiver on their hands. And that's coming from Des Bryant, who was himself one of those guys. So, I don't discount that, you know, that I think there is some I, I think there there is a real possibility that he he could emerge and finally blossom. But, you know, this is his fourth year. He, he's he's played for a Hall of Fame quarterback. Um, it's not like, you know, they came into the season last year imagining Chase Claypool was going to be a stud. So he had an opportunity last year to separate himself and he didn't do it. So there is that, too. That's why you don't give up more than a fifth round pick for him at this point. But I would certainly I would certainly be calling Pittsburgh and seeing what it would take to, to bring him to Philadelphia because I do think there's talent there. Um, and maybe Nick Sirianni, who was a wide receiver coach and played wide receiver and really seems to be his focus is getting these wide receivers coached up. Maybe he's the right guy for, for James Washington. So just check and, check and see where that is in another week and see where James Washington lands because I, I think he'd be, I think he'd be a, a neat addition here in Philadelphia. One of the storylines surrounding Eagles training camp so far has been been the brevity of the practices some of the some of the pra- practices by Nick Sirianni have been just barely over an hour I mean we remember Dick Vermeil running grueling practices back in the old days and even when Buddy Ryan and Andy Reid was around and you know to to Chip Kelly and I mean they were always longer than this Doug Peterson's practices were were probably like an hour longer uh, than Nick Sirianni's have been so far. These are very, very short practices, and it's, it's hard to understand what you can accomplish in an hour and 10 minutes on the field. Um, certainly, you know, no two-a-days, and they've had a lot of days off. They didn't practice on Friday. No training camp on Friday. So this seems to be the kind of the the wave of, of how training camp is being done now in the NFL. Less time on the field, more time in meeting rooms, more time breaking down game film, and I know part of this is avoiding injuries. That's key. You don't want to get guys hurt in training camp. We've already seen some some Eagles players having issues with with injuries here in the early going. So there is I do get that, but I also do worry if you're not banging enough during the preseason and getting some of these, you know, bumps and scrapes and bruises out of the way early, is it going to affect them when the season starts? Now, we know the Eagles have been just obliterated with injuries over these last few years. It's been a big talking point, and the team doesn't seem to know what to do about it. Maybe this is a strategy to combat all of the rash of injuries that this team has had over the last few years. I think it'll be an interesting thing to see if Nick Sirianni, with these short practices, is able to get his guys the reps that they need to really be ready for the season. And you have to wonder, you know, if teams have figured out a way to get better off the field during COVID, that they don't feel they need to be on the field as much. It's just it's a very interesting strategy for a first-time head coach who's got to install an offense, who's got some young players that he's got a young quarterback that he needs to get familiar with and the quarterback needs to get familiar with the players. And so 
I just think it's – and this offense is not seen as a juggernaut offense. You would think that they want to get as much time on the field to get as many reps as possible in with an inexperienced quarterback, with an inexperienced wide receiver group, and with an offensive line situation where the veterans are basically all sitting right now, and so you want to get the young guys as many reps as you can too, especially with that left tackle battle, which Jordan Mailata seems to be slowly pulling away with. So – I think it's it's certainly a strategy. Whether it's one that will lead to victories in 2021 remains to be seen. All right, let's look around the NFL uh, just a little bit before we get to our guest, Zach Rosenblatt. The Washington football team is dealing with some serious COVID issues as they are in the second week of training camp. Ron Rivera, who, of course, is recovering from cancer, is immunocompromised and was begging his players to get vaccinated over these last few weeks. But Washington reportedly has one of the lowest rates in the league and now has seven players on their COVID-19 list, including guard Brandon Scherf. Lamar Jackson tested positive for a second time to start training camp. Uh, Sammy Watkins uh, was catching passes from Trace McSorley and Tyler Huntley in practice as a result. Um, Raiders running back Theo Riddick retired after testing positive for COVID-19. Uh, Josh Jacobs saying the result was the last straw for Riddick. And uh, Vikings rookie quarterback Kellen Mond tested positive uh, with uh, quarterbacks Kirk Cousins and Nate Stanley also out of practice as close contact. So around the league, COVID-19 is uh, is hitting some some locker rooms hard, and of course, the the Kirk Cousins thing has really swept around the league like wildfire. With Cousins talking about making sure that he he feels like he he, he was um, placed in a in a situation where um, he was was almost likely to get it because the, the quarterback. Uh, room was too small apparently so he's now going to kind of have plexiglass erected um in certain areas in the rooms that he's in so he doesn't come into contact with people who may have coronavirus i i you know kirk you do you bud um Anyway, it's uh, it's certainly an interesting situation. Luckily, the Eagles have not had to deal with a whole lot of COVID issues uh, so far here in 2021, just a, a little bit here and there. But um, so far, so good for your Philadelphia Eagles. But um, certainly uh, with the Washington football team, they are they are certainly dealing uh, with with some COVID problems on on their side. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the of the, of the broadcast that uh, a quarterback in the AFC is the latest to sign a huge contract extension. The Buffalo Bills have signed Josh Allen to a new deal. It's a six-year deal worth $258 million, including $150 million guaranteed. That will average $43 million a season. And it's worth every penny. The guy is absolutely amazing. This is just what you do when you have a young quarterback. And they got it done early in his tenure. They didn't want to wait and drag it out like the Cowboys did with Dak Prescott. They got it done. They got it done quickly. They got it done fast. And Josh Allen is a very, very wealthy human being and uh, will be for the rest of his life. So as we're looking at quarterbacks next up for deals, you've got Lamar Jackson of the Ravens and Baker Mayfield of the Browns. Uh, They've got to be feeling pretty good. I imagine Joe Burrow of the Bengals in a couple of years has to be looking at this and feeling pretty good about it. Uh, I think um, it's more to me. I think it's more certain that Lamar Jackson gets gets the big money deal. Baker Mayfield, I think this year is going to really make or break whether or not Cleveland sees him as a quarterback to give 35 to $40 million a year to. 
for whatever reason, I'm just still not sold on Baker Mayfield as the franchise quarterback, although he had a very good year last year, and the Cleveland Browns are expected to be a very good football team this year. So um, it, it's more than likely that Baker Mayfield's going to be just fine and that he's going to get that big contract, but I think Lamar Jackson is definitely more likely, although Lamar Jackson took a step back last year. So uh, I don't think either one of those guys is as guaranteed to get one as Dak was and as Carson Wentz was um, when they got their deals. And now, of course, Josh Allen getting his $43 million a year deal. And Forbes is out with their team valuations for this year. This is a yearly thing that they do. The Philadelphia Eagles are in the top 10 at number nine, worth $3.8 billion. However, all three teams in the NFC East are ahead of them on this list. You got the Dallas Cowboys at the top at $6.5 billion. Uh, the Patriots are second at $5 billion. The Giants are number three at $4.85 billion. Washington is number five at $4.2 billion. So those uh, three NFC East teams all in the top six there. With uh, You've got the Rams in there at four. You've got the Niners at six, the Bears at seven, the Jets at eight, and the Broncos at number 10. But just being in New York apparently makes your team super valuable because what have the New York Jets done? <laughs> <laughs> since Super Bowl three. So, uh, but yet $4.05 billion, a more valuable franchise than the Philadelphia Eagles. All right, up next, we're going to talk to Zach Rosenblatt of NJ Advanced Media. The New York Giants have had a very interesting week in training camp, and we're going to talk to him about all that coming up on Eye on the Enemy. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge... That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Well, this week has been a very interesting week uh, with our divisional friends up north in New York. Giants camp has seen no shortage of uh, headlines and uh, some some interesting things going on there. And joining me to talk about what's been going on in Giants camp since it opened a couple of weeks ago is Zach Rosenblatt. He's the Giants beat reporter for NJ Advanced Media. You can follow him on Twitter. You probably already do, at Zach Blatt. Zach, thanks for coming on Eye on the Enemy, man. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, John? I'm doing real good. I mean, it has been seemingly every morning some new piece of news or some interesting set of quotes or <laughs> something interesting is happening in Giants training camp so far. So um, I guess to, to start off, what has been what has been the biggest newsmaker uh, from where you stand in Giants camp so far this offseason? Oh, man. Just, oh, the whole offseason? Well, no, I mean, just, just, since, just since training <laughs> camp opened, I guess, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, that, that's expanding it a little much. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean that's, that's a good question because there's been so much. Uh, I would say the, the biggest news-making thing was probably the, the brawl that happened, I would say. Um, it, I mean, it, it was one of the weirder, crazier, like, brawls I've probably seen in a training camp, and I know some players have been playing it off like it was normal, but 
you know, I, I, I've never seen like a full on team thing where guys are, you know, the quarterback is at the bottom of the pile. I think that was probably the craziest part of it. Honestly, <laughs> you, know, you, you never see the quarterback at the bottom and he wasn't there at the beginning. So it's not like he got trapped in there. He ran over there and then all of a sudden he was at the bottom oh, and man. you see like an offensive lineman pulling him out. And, and the way Joe judge punished them was like pretty severe. You know, they had to run gassers, like running across the whole field, then do 30 push-ups, then more gassers, then 30 more push-ups. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and then and then you have all the they had three players retire in the last week, which is the weirdest thing I've seen in yeah. the camp. I know, again, like that, I mean, each situation is unique or whatever, but I mean, that, that's definitely not normal at the very least. Now, do you think those two things are related? Because I know Joe Judge coming from Bill Belichick's coaching tree came in as kind of a disciplinarian, as kind of an old school coach. And obviously, I think that's what we saw with, uh, with, with the training camp fight. Although I guess just to kind of focus on the training camp fight for a second, I remember back in the Buddy Ryan days, Buddy Ryan used to love it when his players would would mix it up. Yeah. I think I think he thought that that was a, a way. I mean, he liked to pit the defense against the offense, and that's kind of the way those teams always always ran. But he, he liked to see his players have that kind of fire and, and get into fights in training camp. Obviously, Joe Judge, his reaction to this was was pretty severe. What, what was it about this fight in particular that you think Joe Judge really had such a, such a problem with that he – he resorted to having those guys do run gassers and, and do all that, do all that extra work. And then, and then yelled at them after, after practice. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. The yelling was, I would say he set a record for F words dropped in a 20 minute stretch. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, I, I think to, to his, I don't know if defense or whatever, but you know, la- last year he, there's a quote where he said that if anybody gets in a fight in practice, I'm throwing them out of practice. So th- this mm-hmm. isn't like, you know, it's it's not like he just did this out of the blue kind of thing. Like he, his his philosophy is that if you're doing something that's going to cost us in a game, <clears throat> excuse me, it's going to cost you in practice. So in theory, like if you get in a fight in the game, you might mm. get ejected. Mm. And so his idea is that. But and so in this situation, the whole team was fighting each other essentially, and he decided <laughs> to punish everybody. And he, it was at the end of practice, so he essentially ended practice. Um, you know, the interesting part of it, I think, I think the more alarming part of it is like a lot of times with those fights, you see it's like with a young guy and a veteran or it's two young guys or something like that. But this one, you know, the, the, the hit on, it was on Corey Clement, actually, who yeah. you guys know pretty well, yep. obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, it was funny cause he was like the least offended by everything that happened. He was like, I didn't think it was that big of a deal that he hit me that hard kind of thing. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so it was Xavier McKinney, who is a young player hit him. And then Evan Ingram, who is, you know, he's young, but he's a veteran mm-hmm. on this team shoved Xavier McKinney. What looks like a normal post play shove. I think I didn't, I didn't think there was any much issue with that. And then Logan Ryan, who's a leader of this team, been in the league for like 10 years, comes running out of nowhere and decks Evan Engram from behind, which kind of sets everything off. So yeah. I think that part is the most alarming and concerning part. And, you know, I, if, if anybody deserved punishment, it was probably Logan Ryan, to be honest with you. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I the, the part about the retirements being tied to it, you know, it, it's, it's very possible. I, I think, you know, there's, there's some guys that, you know, it, it's a cliche when guys say that you got to love football to do it, but I really think you really got to love football to get through a training camp and especially mm-hmm. a Joe judge training camp because he, he does really grind them and things really move quickly and you have to like really be in shape. And, um, and so like maybe there's some merit to the fact that these guys, you know, didn't, didn't love it as much anymore or enough to like go through a, a training camp with this team. Um, so I, mean, I think it's maybe it's like a little overblown that it's like Joe judge's fault per se, but yeah. you know, if, if you, I mean, it's a, it's a tough training camp for sure. And maybe they thought they would be able to come in and, you know, be a veteran and, and not have to like do all the same work that the rookies are doing or something like that. But, yeah. um, it, it is, it is weird for sure. And, 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 and I think it's probably fair to say it's 
part of it has to do with Joe Judge, maybe not all of it, but I mean, however anyone wants to take that. Well, I know with, with Eagles training camp, a lot of the veterans aren't practicing and they're getting a lot of maintenance days. I mean, and Eagles training camps, yeah. their practices have been really short under Nick Sirianni. I mean, there's some that have only been going like an hour and 10, hour and 20 minutes. So they're about an hour shorter than even Doug Peterson's training camp practices were. So um, we'll see how that, you know, whether or not that's beneficial to the team in the long run to, you know, and we, the only time will tell on that. <laughs> but, you know, you as a veteran player, you kind of know what training camp's all about. And I, yeah. I, are they... I mean, is this a thing? I mean, you, you said that, you know, maybe they come in and, you know, they are they think that, you know, they'll get through the training camp, their body will let them get, get through the training camp. But, I mean, is Joe Judge's training camp any, you know, physically more demanding than maybe his than his predecessor or other training camps around the NFL? Well, I would say, you know, one, I would say Joe Judge runs his camps. I don't know if it's exactly like Chip Kelly, but I would say, like, it's just there's just like an efficiency to it to where everybody's always doing something like there's not a lot of standing around you know one thing that I've, I've seen that is unique sometimes during team drills I have on one field they'll have like the first team and maybe some reserves going on the other field they'll have all the third string guys going like at the same time mm-hmm. which is smart because you're getting everybody reps and stuff like that but you don't really have much of a moment to breathe so I, I th- that that part of it I think you know there's not much t- they, they don't waste any moments mm-hmm. at a Joe Judge practice which I think is, you know, in some ways it's smart, but I think on the other hand, maybe, you know, I mean, and, and I think you, you even saw it like last year, they got, into, they got into the stride at the end of the year. I know a lot of them was division games, but you, there would be games where in guy, in guys reference this, which means they're okay with it. Like veterans on the team, Sterling Shepard and stuff that they'd be at the end of, end of games. And the other team would be like, you could see them huffing and puffing and being tired and, and the giants were not tired. So yeah, I think yeah. they're like, I, like you, you see why Joe judge does what he does. You know what? And, and the whole thing comes down to this, like everybody wants to make fun of Joe judge for being old school. And I get it. Like, and there's, there's a lot in a lot of ways he deserves that, but if they win, then it, then, you know, then nobody's going to be complaining about it. If they right. lose, then it could you know be a disaster. Like that's just the reality. So that I think, you know, there's going to be, there's a lot of pressure on this team anyway, this year with all the money they spent. Um, but you know, whether they love Joe judge or turn on him, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what kind of coach you are. Where the, if you love your coach, it's because you're winning. If you don't, it's because you're losing. No, that's, I, I guess that was going to be my next question is, you know, how, how do the players feel about him? And maybe it's too soon for players to really know because it's only his second year and he's had one full season as a head coach. But, you know, is, is there a general sense that, that you've gotten covering the team, how the how the players, I mean, obviously players and maybe in, even in different positions are going to feel differently about, about a head coach depending on, on how they're treated in, in practice or in games or whatever. But is there a general sense that the that you and the other beat reporters are getting as to as to how the team feels about Joe Judge as their head coach yeah you know I mean I I don't think that if if I, I don't know that there's many guys that would say they don't like him necessarily um while they're on the team at least yeah um but I, I would say that like the, the the important guys do support him like the leaders and I think you saw like in the wake of like the Kelvin Benjamin stuff and mm-hmm. and stuff like that um, where you, you've seen guys like, well, if it's not for you, then you don't got to be here kind of thing. Yeah. Like, it, it's not for everybody. Like, that's kind of the message for, like, the guys in the top who, you know. Uh, but the thing is, like, Joe Judge has this, like, you know, hard-ass uh, image, but I, he's, I think he's a lot better at being personable with these guys than people realize. I think mm. players, you know, he, he's not a Bill Belichick clone in the sense that he's just kind of a robot. You know, he doesn't say anything and, yeah. and he doesn't care. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know what Bill does away from the podium or whatever, but I, I, I think Joe is a much – better at like getting cool with these guys than you than a lot of people might realize which you know he, he had this like it just as an example he had this like running there's just like running bit with julian love a defensive back of theirs so julian love 
came out one day and like basically decided he was going to make up a quote and attribute to, to, to the Joe Judge, and <laughs> and and the and the, and the quote was something like, uh, "Down down in Mississippi, you, you need two people to grease a pig" or something. It was like I forget what the exact <laughs> quote was, but it was like some ridiculous quote that like kind of sounds like something Joe would say. And he, you know, he played college in Mississippi, yeah. and and so then so then we asked Joe Judge about it, and he kind of gets a smile on his face, and he like. <clears throat> jumps in jumps in and and clearly he's making something up because he starts saying about how julian love used to like work at a renaissance fair in mississippi and he would wear green tights and <laughs> like he just got really detailed and all this then julian love admitted that it was just like a bit they're doing like i don't know that, that many coaches i would actually even engage in something like that so i yeah I, I think joe judge does have a side to him that players clearly enjoy you know i think when they go out on the field with him maybe he's tough to play for mm-hmm. but i think when they go back in the building um i think they do like him so i it's very interesting. I'm sure there are guys on that team that do not appreciate how things are going, especially like veteran guys who come in. But mm-hmm. especially for a young team, I, I I don't think I see too many issues in terms of guys not loving him. Which of the early retirees uh, that have stepped away over the last week do you think the Giants will miss the most? Hmm, miss the most? I would say just like a combination of Joe Looney and Zach Fulton, not not because they're good necessarily, but because they were depth on veteran depth on the offensive line mm-hmm. for a group that's very young. And, you know, is a big question mark. And so now all of a sudden their bench, you know, Nate Solder, they view as he's basically a third tackle that I think they're going to rotate in sometimes. And they've got Kenny Wiggins, who played a lot for the Lions over the years. Um, and those are the only two guys that you can maybe rely on a little bit. So I th- they really got to go and sign somebody now. And who knows the veteran offensive line want to come here based on what's transpired. Uh, but I, I would say those two guys, you know, Calvin Benjamin wasn't going to make the team, especially once he showed up overweight when they asked him to lose 14 mm. pounds or whatever. Um, <laughs> And and then Todd Davis was kind of just going to be a depth piece at linebacker. So I, Joe Looney, I think he Joe Looney in particular had like a real chance to at some point move up and start at center because they could slide Nick Gates over if they wanted to. So that that, that one was surprising, especially because we had just talked to him two days before. He's this great personality. He was. We asked him about having to run laps as a redder, and he said he loved that. Um, that was before the brawl, I believe, though. So okay. maybe he didn't like the gassers. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who does, right? Um, yeah. So what's the um, hearing, you know, Saquon Barkley back this year, I mean, it looks like he's going to um, give Daniel Jones uh, just, you know, another weapon. The Giants have really done a pretty good job, it seems to me, acquiring a, a number of uh, and accumulating weapons for, for Daniel Jones to 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 utilize uh, in the offense. But um, what is Saquon Barkley's timetable as far as, as getting back? We're seeing some things about possibly week three this week. Are the Giants still holding out hope that he'll be, that he'll be ready for the first week of the season? I, my, my guess, it's, and it's just an educated guess. I, I think he's back week one. Um, you know, we, we see him out there. He kind of works off to the side and, and you can only take so much from that, I suppose. Um, but you know, he's, he's running and cutting. And he looks really, he likes, looks like himself. I mean, he's jumping up to get catch balls from trainers that are throwing it to him. Um, he actually participated in some of the gassers like voluntarily. Mm. Um, and, and so like, I, I think they really are just taking a very, very slow with him. Like they feel like they don't need him out there right now. Um, I would be, I would expect him to maybe come back to practice in a limited basis in the coming weeks, maybe when they're in Cleveland for joint practices in a couple weeks uh, or the week after that, when they're in new England, like I, I, I maybe he doesn't play in the preseason. Maybe he doesn't, you know, have a full workload in week one. But I, I don't see unless there's a setback. I, I don't see why he wouldn't be there. Understanding it's still really, really early in training camp. How has Daniel Jones looked? Because I know this is kind of a make or break year for him, probably in the in the Giants' offense. It's been a mixed bag. I would say, you know, he there was a few practices in a row to start camp that he looked pretty bad. Um, 
then he had a couple practices where he was almost perfect. And then uh, yesterday, uh, Friday, he threw like two interceptions, and it was probably his worst day of practice. So it's definitely been inconsistent. I haven't really seen enough to where I could be like, all right, he's going to have the year that the Giants have been promising. Um, like you said, I mean, he knows there's a lot of pressure on him. Everybody in the building knows they spent a lot of money to support him with talent, and he needs to be better. I mean, I would say one thing is, you know, he's going against a defense that I think is going to be pretty good. The secondary in particular, I think, has the talent of one of the best in the league, and they've really shut down these receivers in a really good way besides maybe Sterling Shepard. Um, but, yeah, jo- Jones needs to be better than he's shown. I think the preseason, uh, depending on how much they play him there, I think that'll be a good indicator of if he's, like, made improvements on some of the mistakes he's made in the past where he's, you know, you know, make, throwing it to the wrong read or, you know, mm-hmm. make, not going through his progressions and, and all that stuff and turning the ball over too much. I, I think there's definitely talent there, but he needs to put it together this year. And if he doesn't, then a lot of people are going to be losing their jobs. So, Last thing for you, Coach Jason Garrett. Are you going to call him Coach? <laughs> <laughs> was he being serious? Was that, was that tongue-in-cheek or was he serious about that? So I, I think – as, as it turns out, which I still, you know, kind of take some umbrage, because I think his point was, and I think it's something that apparently he used to say when he was in Dallas, is that, like, when his thing was not to call me coach, it was more nobody reacted when he said, uh, it's good to see you guys or something. And he's like, well, we, we say good to see you, coach. Okay. Um, and the way, like, his tone of it was still, like, kind of condescending. I, 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 like, I think somebody on the beat described it as, like, when you're in like elementary school and you go to one of those assemblies where someone says, how's everybody doing? And you're like, good. And then he's like, no, you can do better than yeah. that. No, how's like, everybody doing? Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's the kind of vibe. I think it was, it's still like a weird thing to say to a bunch of grown men. I think. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think he necessarily, like, I've never had any issue with Jason Garrett. I, I don't think he's a very good coach, but right. Right. I, don't, I don't, I don't know if he, I mean, it, it was, I don't know. It was probably overblown. I think the whole coach conversation is so ridiculous. Like, we, we don't need to call those guys coach. And there's people that get offended by that, I guess. I don't know. There's some fans. I think we, they're in a position of power or something. Hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I'm even if he wanted us to call him coach, I would not be doing that. <laughs> <after> that. <laughs> well, I got to say, it has been an interesting couple of weeks as, a, as an outsider watching uh, New York Giants camp. I would imagine for the Giants, I'm sure they're hoping it settles down a little bit. But for you guys, I'm sure it's been uh, some pretty good content for you. So, um <laughs> Folks, make sure you are reading yeah, everything. Yeah, lots to write about. Lots to write about. No doubt about it. Uh, make sure you're reading everything Zach Rosenblatt does for NJ Advanced Media. Follow him on Twitter, at Zach Blatt. Thanks for coming on Eye on the Enemy. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. That'll do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. Thanks, everybody, for listening once again this week. Uh, next week, we're going to, I think, dive into the Washington football team and uh, talk about their training camp so far here this summer. And uh, we'll we'll talk about the Cowboys coming up in a couple of weeks as well. And then we'll really start diving diving into the nitty-gritty with the Eagles' opponents and get some training camp updates on all of their opponents as we go through the rest of the summer. But listen, check out everything we are doing at BleedingGreenNation.com. We have updates on the very latest of what's going on in Eagles' training camp, and we'll have all the latest trade rumors for you there as well. And make sure to subscribe to BGN Radio and the rest of the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed for the latest information, news, notes, rumors, and everything else involving your Philadelphia Eagles. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy.